Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Brooks Hall. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium. And the Dayton Decibel Dutch. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back to Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully, coming to you with another episode of the best Dayton Flyers basketball podcast on the internet, radio or otherwise. Got a full hour-long show for you tonight. Brooks Hall coming up on the back half of the episode to do a nice little sit-down with me, a one-on-one after the Flyers are victorious this past Friday night. Episode, of course, not coming to you until here on Monday, January 31st. Had the whole weekend off to digest what we saw but the Flyers were a win, a winner, sorry, in a slugfest that you better become accustomed to if you're going to watch this team the rest of the way. 53-51 that final from Edwin C. Moses Boulevard. And the Flyers now take the road for the next week, going to Richmond Wednesday night against VCU at 8 o'clock. And then Arch Baron Cup round two. At Chaffetz Arena, 2 p.m. Eastern tip-off, 1 o'clock local if you're going to be in town like your boy Sully in St. Louis. Flyers and Billikens doing battle, and the Billikens have a test against the upstart George Mason Patriots on Wednesday night. Take a look out for that. They'll be playing right before Dayton's game with VCU. I am overjoyed that you have joined the show tonight. I want to remind you before we really get into the nitty-gritty here tonight that today's show is brought to you by the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. Again, if you're looking for a house in southwestern Ohio, you do not have to look any further than the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. They are still realtors you can rely on, and I would like to thank them personally for their support of the show and keeping us rolling through the Dayton Flyers season as we hit February. Our last episode of the month of January sees the Dayton Flyers at 14-7 and overall, 6-2 and in the conference as we head down the stretch. The game against VCU on Wednesday night, of course, being the midpoint of the 18-game slate in A-10 play. Standings as of today, walking into the full week's game. I believe there's some A-10 games on Tuesday night this week. And then, of course, there usually is um, a more full slate on Wednesday. 
Davidson still leading the conference at seven and one after suffering that first defeat uh, to VCU. They're seventeen and three overall. And now slated by BartTorvik.com to be a 70% chance of making the tournament. I think it is safe to say at this point in the season that barring a total collapse, Davidson is going to be in the NCAA tournament one way or another. They probably will uh, do just enough to get an at-large bid, even if they fell three, four more times. Um, it, I'd say three. If they lost three more games, ended the conference season at fourteen and four, that'd be plenty enough to get them in. Uh, that would leave them with only six losses for the season. And generally, you know, the formula always kind of stands the same um, each year for getting in the NCAA tournament for Dayton and all the teams in the A10. Really, is that you need to be at least thirteen and five in the conference, twelve and six if you've made some headway in the non-con. But generally speaking. 13 and 5 uh, with an overall record that has eight losses or less is going to get you in the NCAA tournament. Once you start to creep up to the nine losses, um, that's when you're really going to be on the bubble. And if you remember, uh, we're going all the way back, let's say, to the Elite Eight year of 2014. Dayton had to win nine of their last 10 games to finish at 22 and 9. They lost to St. Joseph's in the semi to get them at 23-10, and 10, and they were one of the last teams in the tournament that year. Their Ken Palm ranking was at 52. Fast forward again the year ahead of that, 2015 now, the Flyers ended the season losing the A-10 championship at 25-8. and eight. They were 40th in Ken Palm as of that day. And they were the very last team in the tournament. Bit of a squirrely field that year. It was kind of wild that Dayton was the last team in the tournament. Okay, I'll hear that. Point being is that anytime you're between 8 and 10 losses in the A-10, uh, things are going to get super dicey for you on the bubble. And generally speaking, you want your net ranking to be uh, 45 or lower. Um, and right now, of course, the Dayton Flyers nowhere near that. They have a lot of ground to make up. They're 77th, and I do think, and I have thought this since November, and it's not even really that arguable uh, as of this recording, that the three losses to start the season uh, were very tough, dare I say, impossible to overcome without a significant winning streak that, of course, is still possible, albeit highly unlikely. And unlikely is where the Flyers see their tournament chances sitting as of this day of our Lord, January 31st, as we head into a big week against VCU in St. Louis. And really the reason is this. We talk about this all the time in the A-10 conference, is that it's very hard to earn goodwill and stack meaningful wins on your resume in the Atlantic 10 conference. And here's the reason why. In the net formula, if you're not familiar with the net formula, I'll try to give you the highest level view that I can to make it digestible for your small ears. Maybe you don't have small ears. <clears throat> Going from 90 to 70 in the net is quite simple, actually. It just requires a winning streak, especially in the A-10 conference, of a couple of different games. You might remember that after the Flyers beat St. Bonaventure, let's even back up further. Going into the Duquesne game on January 15th, the Flyers were 94th in the Ken Palm rankings, and I'm using Ken Palm because they're right in front of me right now, but the net rankings this year have almost perfectly mirrored the Ken Palm rankings as of like the start of January. So going into that Duquesne game, Dayton was 94, and then they won Duquesne in that by 20, 
They ended up going and beating St. Bonaventure at home, and they were 86 as of that day. After they beat St. Bonaventure, they moved up to 72 in the Ken Palm rankings, and I believe the net was give or take two points. So you see the point I'm getting at. Just in that one week, Dayton went from 94 to 72 because a lot of the teams that you're leapfrogging in the net rankings, you guessed it, are of the caliber or resume of the Dayton Flyers. They're like mediocre, a little bit above average, um, your cookie cutter NIT teams, ones that are towards the bottom of the Power Five leagues, like say like a Boston College. Um, I've, I've even lost track of the ACC standings, but this year uh, I'd be like a, a Clemson. Yeah, Boston College is a good one. Um, Syracuse is going to do that crap this year where they win a bunch of games down the stretch and sneak in the NCAA tournament probably like to do every other year I digress um but going from 90 to 70 is is quite simple and it can be done quickly going from 70 to 50 is much more difficult and I will give you two exact examples um to illustrate my point on today's bracketology on ESPN uh, in the first four out was Michigan they are the fourth team out of the field right now and the last four in One of those teams is West Virginia. So looking at uh, Michigan's resume right now, Michigan, again, being the fourth team out of the tournament, they are 47 in the net rankings, 33 in Ken Palm. They're one and four in the quad one. And of course, you probably could have guessed they have zero quad four losses. So in the quad one and quad two, they're two and seven. If you look down the schedule for what Michigan has left to go this year, Again, as of this recording, they have eight games in the quad one left to play. That is eight games. They have one game with Nebraska, which is usually your cupcake coming up. They'll definitely win that game. So the reasons for optimism for Michigan to get in the tournament, they abound. They are everywhere. There's plenty of reasons for optimism because in the A-10, you have, sorry, the Big Ten, You have plenty of opportunities to fight back into that at-large picture, and you have plenty of opportunities to gain meaningful wins, whether at home or on the road. Eight quad one games for the rest of the season. You could probably deduce that Dayton will not play eight quad one games the entire season. On the flip side, I mentioned West Virginia in that bracketology. They are one of the last four teams in the bracket right now. West Virginia currently sits at 64 in the net and 64 at Ken Palm. They are two and six in quad one games. They've won all their cupcakes going seven and oh. Looking down the stretch for West Virginia, they have 10 games left to go, just like your Dayton Flyers. Eight of those games, eight out of ten are in the quad one. Two are in the quad two. So every single game that West Virginia has left is going to be as good or better than the two games that the Dayton Flyers have coming up this week against VCU and against St. Louis. So when we talk about, again, going all the way back to my first point of how hard it is to jump from 70 to 50 in the net, These are the reasons why is because you're no longer stepping over mediocre power conference teams. You're stepping over the best of the best in the mid majors and you're stepping over teams like West Virginia and Michigan who night in night out have better chances to strengthen their resume than you do. 
And if you really want to get nitty gritty about Dayton's resume, uh, Belmont is one loss away in the OVC from dropping into a Q2 game. And Miami, Florida, and Virginia Tech have not been doing Dayton any favors as of recently. So if you came to the show today to hear why we would make the at-large case, or maybe you heard, maybe you listened to the show today to hear me disparage our at-large chances, I did neither. I simply provided you a pragmatic pathway forward to understand why the at-large discussion is going to be moot. Um, looking into my interview with Brooks here coming up, we didn't really get into the numbers too much with VCU or the X's and O's because, frankly, you've already seen VCU play a game this year. But if you need a reminder as to where they sit, I'll be happy to give it to you, listeners, and thank you for joining the program tonight so that I can give you the facts and figures. Going into Wednesday's game, VCU finds themselves squarely in the bubble conversation. Lenardi has VCU on the outside looking in right now. But again, they are close enough to the outside looking in that they will be able to overcome um, you know, some of the things that are ailing them, them resume-wise. So numbers-wise, VCU 56 in the net, 65 in Ken Palm. They are 2-2 two and two in the quad one. They are 3-3 three and three in the quad two, and their only bad loss, if you want to call it a bad loss, um, was early on in the year. It was to Wagner, Q3 game at home, but Wagner has, uh, has come out and actually been a, a pretty good team in the mid-major. Uh, they're 13-2, and two, so that loss does not look as bad for VCU. But suffice to say, the Rams find themselves squarely uh, on the bubble right now, and you can bet your sweet ass that they need a win against Dayton in their own home building to build the case for that resume. As far as the X's and O's, I think we'll talk about it later in the show. VCU still ranks as the second most efficient defense in the country. They are also second best in opponents' field goal percentage and the amount that they are turning over the opponents. 26% of VCU's possessions defensively end in an opponent's turnover. They are also holding their opponents to 25% from three-point land. That also good enough for second in the country. A couple other stats where they're top 20 in the entire country, 44% holding their opponents to two-point range. They're blocking 15% of shots. Sorry, they're blocking shots on 15% of possessions defensively. They are getting steals on 13% of their possessions defensively, and they are committing unforced errors, or sorry, they're forcing the other team into unforced errors 12% of the time. All of the statistics I just rattled off, good enough for, you guessed it, top 20 in the country. VCU, like the Flyers, does have a propensity for turning the ball over while on offense, and their biggest weakness is getting to the free throw line offensively, which was, of course, on perfect display the last time these two teams suited up because they spent not much time at the line. Two for two, VCU at the line. That was Vince Williams en route to their 53-52 victory in Dayton. All right, we are 24 hours late getting this episode to you, and you've listened to me talk about the semantics of the season for another 15, so let's get you to the interview. My one-on-one with Brooks Hall coming up right now. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. After the quick break, welcome back to Talking Out Loud. Still your host, Sully, and running the show solo. No co-host with me tonight, but do have our favorite recurring special guest on Talking Out Loud, a former flyer, number 33, goes by Brooks Hall. Welcome him back to the show after uh, they gave you the weekend off, so you got to be a fly on the wall and actually watch the Flyers beat Rhode Island on Friday night, did you not? I, I did, man. I was there Friday as a fan, and I listen, I, I thought you didn't like me, you were mad at me or something. It's been a long time since I've been on here, man. We good? <laughs> well, I, I had to get in touch with Nate. That took like two weeks to get Nate on the calendar. <laughs> um, you know, no fault of his or no fault of mine. It just kind of how the, the podcast schedules work out. But um, yeah, man, we're we, you know, we're getting into the nitty gritty of the season, you know, two games a week heading into February. And uh, so now we got to lock it in a little bit more. So, yeah, we're probably going to be chatting a little bit more coming down the stretch here. And uh, yeah. I guess we, you know, could start there tonight. Right. Like the the Flyers are they're starting to give people, um, let's say they're starting to turn people optimistic again about what's possible for the end of this season. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and you mentioned it like I was there Friday and I, you're right. I got to be a fan. It's a little different perspective, a different I can watch it with a diff, through a different lens. Um, it's fast paced when I'm watching it on the radio and I'm trying to call the game because there's the whole, the timing and trying to work with Larry and, and get my thoughts in, in 10 seconds. And, you know, just, a, it's a different fast paced watch while I'm a fan, when I'm there's just a fan and I can sit there and really take it all in. I'm like a watch certain things because I don't have to worry about missing other things. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just a easier, um, it's, it's easier for me to analyze the team. Actually, I'm not gonna say I prefer it, man. I ain't trying to get my, get fired, but, but, I, <laughs> <laughs> but keep me but on the sideline, <laughs> right? But but I do enjoy just being a fan sometimes. So, you know, you're right. It's been a roller coaster um, season, and I think early on it was just you know bright eyed, bushy tailed, old school saying, just young kids or inexperienced, just thrown into the fire, and and playing for Dayton, man, it comes with a lot of pressure. It just does. I mean, and it's yeah. it's not bad pressure, but just playing for the Flyers, thirteen thousand fans, the community just it's it's it comes with pressure, and it takes a while to get used to that. And so, um, I think, like you said, the guys have now embraced that; they get it. They went through some highs, they went through some lows, and now they've kind of leveled off. And I think what you're seeing is the team we're going to get the rest of the season. And what that is, it's going to be a team that struggles offensively. They're going to have games where they look good offensively, but overall, it's going to be a a 60 to 65 point team offensively, but defensively they're a monster. Like they have one of the better defensive teams as a whole that we've seen in a long time um, wearing Dayton uniforms. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll get into those stats here in in a a short while. Um, But your, your point is well received by me as well, because uh, Friday night I was very, 
um, well aware that we were not going to have to record an episode afterwards. And I'll tell people first and foremost, like when we're doing a rapid reaction right after the show, I'm usually on my couch, like taking notes or I'm in my office and I'm looking at certain things and I'm saying, you know, what was the theme of the first half? You know, what was the flow of the game? Who went on runs? When did they go on runs? What were the defining moments? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about all those things in real time so that when the game ends, I can send out the link to the guys, you know, and we can just start going. And Friday night was great because this was, you know, an old school night with the fellas. You know, we went out to the bar, the beers were flowing, and there was a good crowd uh, at Glasgow's in Chicago watching the game. But it was a little bit more laid back. And I hate to say it like this, you know, before we kind of get into like the specifics of the game, but I never really felt threatened on Friday night. I know it was a two point game, but I really did not feel like the game was ever in jeopardy. Did you feel like that as well? I absolutely did. And that's funny. So, so I sat, so I have the opposite, um, you know, stance that you have. And maybe, maybe it's because being there live might be different. Don't, I have no idea, but sitting there, I never felt comfortable with the lead. Um, Yeah. It it just, even I think who I was sitting with, I think we were up maybe nine or 10 in the second half. And I literally leaned, leaned over. There were maybe seven, eight minutes to go. And I said, I don't feel good about this lead. Um, and and the person to the right of me said, hey, what, what, what's your prediction for the game? And again, at that time, we were up nine. I literally told them, I think it's going to be a, a one possession game, three or four point game to end. And the reason I say that, Sully, is because the, the, the inconsistency offensively yeah. combined with the firepower that that Rhode Island has like they they can they can score in bunches at times even though they didn't they didn't do it but I'm like man at any moment I don't see Dayton running away with this and and letting Rhode Island hang around anytime I think you made a post about it like anytime you let a team on the road hang around and you don't put them away you're you're man you're setting yourself up because you're giving them confidence so nah man I didn't yeah I didn't feel great about it yeah, you know, that was the the sentiment that I shared at halftime because um, it was a very bizarre first half. And uh, our, our pal Adam on Twitter said, Dayton being up 12 makes no sense at the half. They should yep. have been up like 20 points or the game should have been tied. Like they didn't play particularly well. And then they let them back in the game. And then right towards the end of the first half for some reason, you know, they, they left a few guys open and then Dayton hit a few shots and here we go. You know, then, then the lead was, I, I believe it was 12. I think it was 20, uh, it was a 29, 25. It was a four point lead. Sorry. Um, but it's sorry. I, I conflated it with the other game last week. Um, so backing up being the four point game, I said to myself, okay, this is kind of frustrating because they should have been up by more. And I, we've seen this many times in Dayton arena, like over the years that, the building can be a little daunting for the away crowd. Some guys get up for it. Some kind of, you know, take a few minutes to settle into the game. But if you let the opposing team go into the locker room, again, four point lead, five point lead, games tied, whatever, you give them hope that, hey, we got 20 more minutes. We can steal this game. And I'm sure you played in games, you know, back in, in your playing days where that happened, where you gave them hope in the first half and then the team came out firing because they're like, hey, all of a sudden, a W is possible here tonight, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it happens all listen, home home court advantage it doesn't last the entire game. Now, 
people could be like, what are you talking about? Well, of course, there are moments where the crowd plays a part, right? With you feed off the energy of the crowd. But what I'm saying is it's I guess it's better, better, better stated by saying the impact that home court has wears off um, the longer the game drags on. Yeah. Right? So yeah. so at opening tip, man, the crowd's into it. The way team might be a little bit nervous or anxious playing in front of that big crowd. We've got all the momentum before the ball even goes in the air. Right. Well, yeah. if you don't take advantage of that, now you're six, seven, eight minutes into the game and the team starts to be like, wait a minute. Hey, it ain't so scary here. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's what tends to happen. Um, and I'm going to tell you another reason why I did not feel comfortable about the game. We can kind of get off, get onto this in a minute. But Malachi yeah. Smith, he's not 100 percent right now. And unfortunately, <laughs> he has to be 100 percent for us to operate, operate at, at, at maximum efficiency. The way we want to. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's yeah. especially on the offensive and defensively, you don't even need hands to play defense. He's going to be okay defensively, but unfortunately he's dealing with a wrist injury, right? He, you're dealing with the, the, the normal wear and tear that goes into being a collegiate athlete and you're a freshman by the way. So, and, and he's a bull in a China shop anyway, he's a physical yeah. player. So what's happening to Malachi is, he already has your your normal bumps and bruises. He's dealing with a wrist injury, right? And now you're trying to figure out how do I still impact the game when I'm not 100% and can't do what I normally can do. There's another adjustment as a freshman, man. It's things that people don't think about. So um, I was talking to Bedell after the game, Sully, and he made a good point, timeliness, like the timeliness of when things happen. What we mean by that is, okay, you look on the stat sheet, Malachi Smith had – I think five rebounds, five assists. It looked like a pretty solid game statistically. Well, when you really break down and dissect, he had some meaningless assists. What I mean, like he had an assist here, an assist there. It wasn't in, it, where we're down two and he breaks the press and drops off a dime that we really needed to stop momentum, right? Yeah. It wasn't those. He also had a lot of turnovers um, that really killed momentum. So he did not have a very efficient game. And, and, man, that's what I'm going to be watching closely because if he's not around 100% and can't be the guy we need, uh, man, his team's going to suffer. Yeah, but what was most encouraging about the game on Friday night is that offensively, um, you can put as much stock into this as you'd like as a Flyer fan, but in Ken Palm, they have, they have the rating of the game, like your offensive rating, and it's basically just a metric of how effective you were. It's not like this – um, you know, completely complicated algorithm. It just takes into account how many minutes you're on the floor, the number of possessions you touch the ball, and then your output minus, you know, the things that hurt your team like turnovers, right? And I was where I'm going with this is I was encouraged by Dayton gutting out this win because number one, the last time they had to gut out a win at home, they didn't, and they lost to VCU on you know a pretty poor management of the last minute. Now, you know, whether you want to put that on coaching staff players, I'm not here for that today but uh, um, other days I will be but um, they were able to gut this game out and keep Rhode Island at arm's length despite their most influential player I'm not saying their best player but their most influential player Malachi Smith having his worst offensive rating of the season and it's by a wide margin like typically a 100 offensive rating is like a very average game he had a 47 okay his next closest bad game was George Mason, where he was a 72. And of course, George Mason game, he played poor. He was four for 13 from the floor. They couldn't figure out a way to win. Fast forward to Friday night. 
He goes 0 for 8 from the field. He turns the ball over five times. Of course, like you said, he added in six assists and six rebounds. But that's not a good stat line. You don't want your point guard going 0 for 8, and his only points were coming from the free throw line. But this team now has gotten enough experience where they were able to win the game in spite of that performance by him. And those are the types of things I think that we've been waiting to see same thing happened with Blakeney on Friday night. His offensive rating was 16. Okay, he had he took two shots from the field the whole night. He basically was non-existent. He got taken completely out of the game, but the Flyers figured out a way. And we or you alluded to it a few minutes ago is and and I think probably by about the beginning of January, middle of the month, this you know a couple weeks ago, we had decided that this was going to be a defense first team. And that's the way that they're going to handle their business moving forward. And I, I think I made the comparison for listeners back to um, when I was in school and Chris Wright, Chris Johnson, London Warren, those teams, Brian Gregory going into the 2010 season, he told all those guys, look, you're not going to be lighting the nets up night in, night out. So what your job is, is to hold the other team under 60 points. And as long as you do that, you're going to win more games than you lose. And frankly, you know, Brooks, I think that's exactly where we are now with this team is that, listen, you, you're going to have some nights where you're going to hit some threes, shots are falling. Maybe you're at 40, 45% from three. Sure, every team has those nights eventually, blind squirrel and nut type of situation. But this is not a good offensive team, and they're not going to flip the switch to become a consistently good offensive team anytime soon. So, I mean, it has to be the message in the locker room from AG to say, guys, Listen, I know you want to all light the lamp, but this is a defense first team with a defensive minded mentality. And I'll add on that before you interject is that since conference play started, Dayton is the number one defensive team in the A-10. And that's impressive because VCU is overall the second best defensive team in the entire country for the season. But since A-10 play started, Dayton has been seven points better than VCU uh, on the defensive end. And I mean, that's, that's a, that's a huge number. I mean, that is a really impressive, like you said, best defensive team we probably had in over a decade here at Dayton. Yeah, man. And I love see positive Sully, right? Positive Sully. That's, that's my guy. I can spin it. I can spin you, it, man. You, you can spin it. <laughs> and, and so here I was, you know, I, I was talking about a concern with, with Malachi and how we need our most, like you, I like the way you put it, most influential player. Um, when, when he's not healthy or fully healthy, who steps up next? And and you make a lot of points that you know that I agree with. Um, one, let's talk about Monty, Tamani uh, Kamara. Yeah. Yes. Listen, we we've been hard on him. Uh, well, when I say we, I'm talking about like dating Twitter, not me. <laughs> dating <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> but but people are hard on him. But I get it. It's because the expectations were so high. Uh, yeah. But the reality we said it right here on the show, remember, like you were at practice preseason and me and you were both like, I think this dude's going to be our best player, like far and away. Remember? Correct. And, and and here's the thing. Here's what's what's very deceiving. What's deceiving is, yes, the turnovers have been very loud. Right. Like he he had really he went through a spell where he was turning that thing over re- religiously. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. He, he's tightened that up. He's not he's not turning the ball over as much now. Um, but but the missed layups. Those are it's loud when you see that, like that's frustrating when you see a guy that's two feet from the basket consistently miss layups and it frustrates you. But here's the reality. The reality is that man, other than his his turnovers early on, 
and and his shooting percentage being inconsistent, being low, he has been awesome this season. But but it's been overshadowed by the two things I just named. His yeah, effort and energy has never stopped. He's our best defender by far, by the way, because he's our most versatile defender. That's true. Uh, the, he's our best rebounder. Like he just does so many things that unless you dissect the game and really put effort into to trying to find his impact, you're not going to see it. If you just take a surface level view of what he's doing, you're going to be frustrated. But but yeah. really peeling it back, man, he's actually had a good season. Now, with that being said, I'm going to piggyback what you said earlier. How nice has it been to watch him start to figure it out offensively? Like that's the guy we've been waiting on. And and I'm hoping it's not just a fluke and he's finally figured it out to where now we can rely on him night in and night out consistently. Uh, because if he has figured out how to put that ball in the basket at a high clip, 60% from the field, stay away from shooting a lot of threes. You don't need to show the NBA this year that you can make threes because you're not going to the league anyway this year. <laughs> Just stick to your, your bread and butter. Um, yeah. if, if he can do that, man, this team will be very, very dangerous come conference tournament time. Um, and then the other piece, you kind of hit on it, figuring out ways to win uh, defensively. It was before where we were struggling offensively. We've seen it all season, but our defense was inconsistent. So we would be good, and then we would go five, six-minute stretches where we would just get our heads torn into all, you know, letting teams get whatever they wanted. Well, that's no longer. Like our defense, man, we're going to shut you down for, for 39 of the 40 minutes. Yeah. And so, you know, now that that's our staple, we got a chance to win every single game. Which yeah. is nice. Well, I'm I'm glad that you brought up Kamara because I wasn't gonna let you off the show without asking you like, when is my man gonna stop shooting threes? It's driving oh, me insane. And you know what's so funny is we were watching the game on Friday night. You know, they had a group around us, and the last two games, Fordham and Rhode Island, he's come out and he's made his first three pointer. And normally you're like, a, okay, like he made it, so it's okay. I'm like. No, because I know that he's going to shoot two more. Like, I know yeah. two more are going to come, and they're probably going to be in a spot where, like, we don't need him shooting the three. And for listeners, like, you know, I, I'm trying to do more on balancing out, like, where I'm coming from when I say stuff so it doesn't come off as, like, trashing people, right? Like, going into the season, all right, the dude was a 22% shooter, okay? So far this year, he's 8 for 37 which is 21.6% right at his career average. Like my man, like we know what you got from outside. And there was like a four game stretch where he didn't make any and he didn't even shoot in three of them. And I was like, okay, I think AG impressed upon him that like, this is not what we need you to do in the offense. And then sure enough, last three games, two for seven again. It's like, we just got to get him to stop shooting threes. We don't need that from him. Just stick your butt in the paint. Get the ball down there, man. Man, I don't disagree shoot? with you. I really don't. And here, here's what sucks about it. I know he's going to shoot it, though. He's, he's so he, open. He's, I mean. Th- that's the thing. He's he's so open, man. Listen, you might as well just go ahead and compromise. He's going to shoot two or three games. I mean, because, <laughs> yeah. because the strategy. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, because the strategy is play 15 feet off of him. Like, let, yeah. like dare him to shoot it. I mean, Every you game. saw Fordham and their unorthodox defensive strategies. I mean, at one point. They were sagging literally 15 feet off of Malachi and Kamara. Yeah. And then they would switch it up and do other things. But so here's here's what I'm gonna say. I agree with you. He doesn't need to be shooting them. Trust me, I, I cringe every time he does too. Like, I, like <laughs> everybody else. It's a compromise. But, yeah, but 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 
the reality is he actually, and you're not listening, it's coming from a shooter. Shooting is what I did back, right? I know, so, I know. So he actually, before he leaves here, will be a decent shooter. Right now, he, he's a, a, ba- a bad three-point shooter. I'm going to give you that. But mechanically, he he's not far away. But the problem is you can't adjust mechanics midseason. That's an off-season thing. So so you're going to be he's going to be inconsistent or bad. So he does need to stop shooting threes. But I'm trying to give you some hope moving forward. I guarantee you he's going to shoot 10 million shots this summer to <laughs> yeah. try to improve that. And, yeah. and he'll come back next year and maybe, you know, be around that 30, 32 percent, which isn't awesome, but it's at least serviceable. Because right now sure, we yeah. all cringe when he shoots them. Yeah, well, it's it's got to come up a little bit if he wants to play at the next level. Correct. Like right now, he's he's probably got the skills to to kind of hang around and prove himself in the G League for a little bit. Um, you know, he's got to have more of a complete game if he's ever going to get drafted. And you know, he's in his third college basketball season. You don't typically see huge steps of improvement from year three to year four. But with certain things like this, you know, shooting the three point ball, that's stuff that's very fixable. Um, the intangibles are there. On, I got a question. Let me ask you this because. Yeah, now, are you saying because it sounds like you're saying he's a long shot to even like get drafted? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Okay. As I a, and for what you. I see right now. Okay. And I disagree with you because he, he's a long shot for first round. But but man, when I tell you he is an elite athlete, like I don't even know if you can see his he's an elite athlete. He's an elite versatile defender. Yeah. And and, and he is very, very effective around uh, now he's not finishing but but he's not finishing around the rim but it's not because he's getting shut down it's because he's missing there's a difference sure you see what i'm saying like he's literally making good moves he uses his body well he's just blowing layups right now yeah well and and here's the other thing that i'll say about that is that like as far as guys who get drafted and like the intangibles they have and the pedigree, like all that shit. I will not sit here and be like, I have a great gauge of that. I usually just try to take like what I see at face value and be like, okay, I think this guy's capable of playing at the next level. Right. But like a really good example was uh, the year Obi got drafted. Okay. The bulls selected fourth and they drafted this dude name. I think his name was Patrick Williams who played for Florida state. And the guy was like a sixth man off the bench. And I was like, what in the hell? Like, what? Where, <laughs> yeah. what? Like, who is this guy? And then he, he comes out uh, last year. He plays 71 games and he averages like nine and five, like right out of the gate. You know what I mean? So it's like I have recognized over the years that there is some things that are different that NBA scouts look for in the college game that doesn't necessarily translate to productivity but they have it. And a good, a really good example, like going all the way back was Kyrie Irving. Remember he played like nine games at Duke and I was like, Oh, this dude's slick and he can handle the ball, but he's tiny. And like, I don't think like, how could you possibly know this guy's a good NBA talent after nine games? Well, sure enough, Kyrie Irving's Kyrie Irving. Right. So I I will definitely just back up just a second there and say like, yeah, I don't necessarily think he's in line to get drafted, but I'm not usually the best barometer for those things either. Cause I know the college game, you know, that's fair. That's fair. Cause right now just an NBA, I mean, he's a, he's a second round guy just, just in the circles, right? That's, that's now he'd have to go to, and that's the, we're talking, listen, if he left and went through the pre-draft, like, like he would be in that second round conversation, but, but he's, he's going to come back. 
Um, yeah. And if he improves, he could be a three and D guy, right? That, that, that makes you a lot of money in the NBA. Hell, True. Chris Johnson <laughs> ended up, he surprised everybody and ended up getting a few uh, NBA contracts. You remember, you know, yeah. that's what he was. He was a three and D he was a versatile defender and he can knock down that corner three in the NBA. So if, if, and he, yeah. So if Kamar can improve his outside jumper, Oh, man, because he's not missing much else, even though we're really hard on him right now because he we see all here's why we're hard on him. And I'm with everybody that that gets frustrated. He could absolutely dominate this league. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He just hasn't figured out how yet. Yeah. And I don't I don't know what what it's going to take. Well, let me ask you this, man. Do you because I've started to feel this way, too, is that the makeup of this team and the way that the season has gone. Reminds me way too much of the 2019 team that ended up in the NIT and they were like back and forth on the bubble. And then like every time they would like kind of get on the bubble, they would lose a big game. And every time they had a close game that mattered, they would lose it. This season is a little bit different because of the way the team started. But one of the reasons that I keep comparing the two is that in that season, the Flyers did not get the most productivity out of Obi, freshman Obi, or Josh Cunningham because they both were like almost too similar of players. Mm-hmm. And so my question to you is like with I think this is AG doing this all over again where Duran and and Kamara aren't necessarily the same player. I just don't think either the staff or the guys on the floor have figured out how to mesh them perfectly to get the most productivity out of both of them. How do you feel about that? For me, I, I, I disagree just because again, I think that what's, what's, what's tainting our view of um, Kamara is his, his lack of efficiency around the rim. Like, yeah. Like, and so it's making us say, man, he sucks, right? But that's a 10,000-foot <laughs> yeah. view. Like, yeah. he really doesn't. He's really good. He really doesn't get in homes. Well, he's not slowing homes down from having a monster year. You know, That's like, true, so, yeah. So, it's, so I know I really actually think he's just underperforming from what we expected from an offensive end. Now, again, he's doing everything we thought defensively. He's doing everything we thought rebounding-wise. Like, the only thing missing – and he was turning it over, but he's he's even improved that. I'm telling you, what's really missing with him is his lack of finishing. Like he's and so then you're you're frustrated that he's missing layups, and then you got to watch him jack up threes, which pisses you off even more. So <laughs> compounding, so, yeah, yeah, man. So we're like we're just I just think we're a little hard on him. Um, and moving forward, I'm gonna say this, man. I know this wasn't a show. This is not the show for it. But moving forward, it's it's almost looking like Sweet Sixteen or failure. Like like that's how good we should be the next couple of years. Well, and, and sure, that, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying that lightly. Like, of course, let's just get to the tournament. But I'm saying this team is built to make runs the next couple of years. I don't even want people to get the idea that like. I'm going to keep it real to such a degree that I can never be optimistic. Because um, I remember uh, Jablo, like I just really just try to tell it like it is. And Jablo had a, a funny thing um, last week where he went to a class at UD. He, he was like teaching in a class. And if you saw this on Twitter, he said uh, he asked the students about the Flyers. And some guy said, um, boy, next year they're going to be like en fuego. They're going to be ridiculous. They're going to be on fire, right? And I, I was thinking in my head laughing that I would have been the kid in the back of the class going, well, they better be, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. that's how yeah. I view this year is like, 
okay, if you're going to ask me to stomach this year and, you know, people that there's a lot of people that have to be optimistic. Like even today, I had my man Joe on Twitter. If he's listening to the show, he said, until Dayton's at large chances, until you know, Dayton could win out and still not get in the at large, he's like, I'm still going to talk about the at large. And I was like, you know what, man, if you if that's how you have to take in the season, like that's totally cool with me. Like we're talking about college basketball. This is not life or death shit right here. OK, right, right. But you're right. I mean, that is kind of what is keeping people behind the wheel right now is that there are a lot of reasons for optimism. We're going to have to survive the transfer portal and guys that want to leave. And I think, you know, we can read between the lines as the guys that probably are not going to be here next year. Um, And college basketball tends to be like a one to two year thing at this point. Well, our two year is next year, right? Like we can, Whatever ends up happening with the season, it happens. But you're right. I can definitely take a look at the whole picture, you know, the big picture right now, and say, yeah, you know, next year probably should be a conference winning team. And frankly, if you think back, the only team we've really had going into the season where they had that kind of expectation was the senior year Scucci, Kyle, Kendall, Cook team. That team was, hey, they're good enough to make the Sweet 16. And if they don't, It'll probably be a disappointment, and it it was, frankly. Well, and here, here's why you can almost take it to the bank, right? Like, it's not really optim. It's educated optimism, and, and here's why. Yeah, two things that aren't there. There are two things that if you're really good at them, at the very least, you're going to be a pretty good team, and that's just with average players. If you're a good defensive team and a good rebounding team, right, and this team is an excellent defensive team and an excellent rebounding team. They return everybody that does that. And then on top of that, you've got studs throughout the entire roster who were giving them a pass this year. This season was a learning season. Now we can, we can say that's bull and all, but, but I'm just saying it is what it is. We'll yeah. give you a pass because next year, it's sweet 16 or bust for me. Like just that's how good they should be because defensively they shouldn't drop and offensively they can't get much worse. It's only going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then you've got two young guys who literally your two most important positions on the court. We've got young stars at those positions. Your, your point, who's your leader. And then we've got a rim protecting center who's a star. I mean, so man, the recipe to, to be one of the best, Dayton teams. Now I'm getting crazy, right? But they literally on paper <laughs> have a chance to be one of those, one of the best teams ever. They really do on paper. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And they, you know, ne- next season's expectations will wow. be sky high. Um, keeping the lens on, on this season. Um, I know you get to, to talk to the team a lot. You mentioned speaking with Malachi and Steven as we're winding down the, uh, the interview today, we got a shorter episode for fans because we'll have another one coming at you after the VCU game on Wednesday night. Uh, we'll do a rapid reaction late night. That game starts at 9 PM Eastern. Um, what can you tell us about the locker room, the way the guys are feeling? Um, Weaver's still nursing a wrist injury. It looks like Malley's kind of had some kind of wrist injuries that wrapped up. Um, you know, what's the feeling you get from the guys in the locker room right now, just being a little bit closer to the team than the average fan? Yeah, so the locker room, the morale is high for the most part. Should be, right? you know. Like, like it, it's – and I'm not talking about your obvious. I mean, the, the obvious guys that are playing and contributing, of course, they're, they're fine, right? But I'm even talking about the guys that aren't, like Zimmy. Zimmy yeah. – we don't know his future. We don't know if he's going to stick it out or not, but 
But what I can tell you is he's not a distraction. He is one of the nicest guys. He's Obi. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Just Obi just never met a, a person he didn't like. I mean, that's, yeah. that's Zimmy. And what's, what's amazing about that is this is a kid who played significant minutes last year and can't even see the court this year. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, he could, he, rightfully so could have been a distraction. Right. But, but he's, he's a team first, just a nice kid. Um, so that's good. Um, even RJ, um, Richard and then they call him RJ, but even, even Richard. And can you say his last name? Cause I stay away from trying it. Oh, Amafule. Yeah. There you yeah, go. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> even, even him, I talked to him Friday before the game and just, I'm like, man, you, you, you been good with this red shirt. Like, are you, how you fit? He's good. He's, he's in high spirits and it wasn't coach speak because they let their guard down around me. It was it wasn't PR. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. He wasn't in front of Jablo or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, it was it was man. He's good and I believe him. And he's I said, hey, did you even know coming in you were probably gonna red shirt? He did. Like he knew because a lot of fans yeah. didn't know know that. I said, yeah. did you know coming in? He said, yeah. I mean it. It wasn't decided, but it was. It, I pretty much knew. So, you know, when I guess my point is the morale, the, the locker room is good. Now, <laughs> Weaver took a while to get there. Let's talk Weaver real quick. I actually like Weaver. Weaver, I, I, he, I consider him a friend. We talk, you know, outside of, of the game. It's just a frustrating situation for him. Um, and you can see it, man. And, <laughs> you know, as a fan, I'm, I'm the outside looking in. You know, I do have, um, I, you know, I have a certain amount of sympathy for his situation. I mean, we as fans kind of expected him to lead the charge this year. Nobody, I, I'm sure even the locker room didn't expect Malachi to become what he has become right. you know, heading into February. So I do have sympathy for his situation. And here's why I respect it, right? I'll leave my personal opinion out of it, but here's why I will say I respect how he's handling it. Um, he very easily could have been a distraction. And by the way, I say that, and it's more impressive because he did have character concerns before. We where, talked about it on the show. Yeah, yeah, man, to where it's like, hey, it's 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 about me. And and he has done an, a he, – he's really matured, and, I, and I'm proud of him. I can say that. Um, I know people, you know, get on him as well, kind of hard on him about his production. I, I get all that, but but I can say this: at least he's not being a distraction, um, and he's trying his hardest to be a leader, even though the search circumstances is tough. So, man, the locker room was okay. The locker room was okay yeah. to answer your question. That's cool, man. It's good to hear. Um, and it's funny, like, do you do you see yourself now that uh, you're getting a little bit older, like being the uh, the team dad? You know, you're, you're the flyer dad. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Can I at least be an uncle? Like, we mean dad. <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> well, your bit. girls are going into college too, man. So you're, uh, yeah. you're coming around anyway. Yeah, man. It's just weird. It's funny because I've been around it. I forget that I'm 40. Like, it's just <laughs> <laughs> like, man, like like Kobe Elvis. He and I have a good relationship, right? Because he's the yeah. guy I told. I pulled him to the side before the season started. And I said, man, you're you're my my dark horse, horse pick. Yeah. Like, I, I saw something in Kobe early on. I thought he could be special. Um, and I try to just encourage him on his side and blah, blah, blah. So now we have a good relationship, but man, he's, he's what, 18, 19 years old. 20, I yeah. Mean, he looks young. He's one of those yeah, guys. Man, looks so young. I'm like, I forget I'm twice his kid's age, man. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did that recently. They were like sending me shit in the email about my 10th reunion. I was like, son of a bitch. Like I'm at my 10th reunion already. Like, wow, man, shit, you big man. baby. You're still young. I want to hear that, man. I I know, but like then I go to Tim's and I do a live show, and like kids are sitting there drinking beers, and that's when you're like, "Oh my god!" Like I am way older than these kids right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear it, man. Talk, hey, talk to me. I'm about to be 20 years out. 
So yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I'll, I'll I'll find that picture somewhere. But I'm standing next to you as like a 13 year old kid. So we'll uh, once I find that, I'll put it on like uh, on my Twitter page or something, and then it'll all come full circle. Oh my god, uh, I would love to see it, man. <laughs> yeah, I would too. It's somewhere in my mom's house. It's buried somewhere. So I got to find that thing. Um. All right. So. Uh, real quick, as we're wrapping up, big week coming up, man. Like the the standings, I alluded to it on the front of the show before you hopped on. Um, you know, VCU's at six and two. St. Louis right behind them. They're at five and two. I mean, just a huge week for the top four for you know the A10 uh, regular season title. Very much up for grabs. Uh, St. Louis, their losses are to us, obviously at home, and then uh, they took a, a brutal loss to UMass, and then they avenged that loss a couple of days later. But rest assured, you know, St. Louis, they got George Mason in between uh, the recording that we have right now in Dayton. But huge week coming up. Um, what I wanted to get from you before we signed off today is, you know, VCU has the same kind of style that Dayton has this season, defensive minded. They're not going to kill you on offense. They got a couple of guys that can shoot the ball, but they're not really going to be consistently productive on offense. What do you see as the keys to the game? Because for me, number one, number two, and number three is it. I would like to see the Flyers push the pace, get out and transition more to win this one. Man, I'm glad you said that. So first of all, to answer your question, and then I'm going to talk about that pace. But to yeah. answer your question, it's an, it's easy to say what are the keys of the game because it's <laughs> – Make it they, threes. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> Don't right, turn it over. It, Make it threes. Yeah, yeah, it's, there it is. I mean, it's literally <laughs> – it's not one of those things where they're a very complicated team this year. It's, yeah, they aren't. Play good defense. Let's let's hope our offense is on. But it, it, I mean, who knows? Make a few shots, right? Let's Doesn't just have to be to win. Yep. Yeah, like it's literally make some shots and, and play good defense and, and rebound the basketball. There's there's not really a, a technical breakdown I could give you. I mean, I could get into the scouting report and all that silly stuff. But really, man, yeah, take care of the basketball, make some shots, uh, and, and and man, just hold it. Play play the type of defense you've been playing. I mean, that's that's literally yeah. what they have to do. Any any type of breakdown defensively, a bad game defensively, they stand no chance. Yeah, I agree. And that's just kind of where we're at with that team. Um, but Pace, I'm, I'm, here's this weird misconception about Grant and the team not playing fast. And this isn't something that Grant – if you watch Grant during the games, he's not with the, holding his hands up saying, whoa, slow down. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But people are, like, blaming Grant for it, which I laugh about because I get it. Because at the end of the day, he's paid to get the guys to do what he wants them to do. But but he's not trying to play slow. Let, let's get that out. Like like he is okay. not <laughs> trying to slow down the pace. Me uh, watching the game, I'm just like, well, I have to blame somebody. Like pick it up, <laughs> pick it up. I transition. Get it. I get it, man. Blame him. Like I get it. He's gonna take the heat for that. But I'm just here telling you, like he, it's that's not the game plan. Yeah. <laughs> so like I mean, I I I I've been to practices. I see the scouting report for every game. Every single game literally says. Play with pace, push. Like, I mean, they're, you would they never trials. know it. <laughs> I, I, I know, right? So I just let me get that out there, man. This is not a great. It's a grant thing because at the end of the day, he's responsible. But let me be very clear: he is not trying to play slow. Yeah. Well, that's why I have you on, man. Because otherwise, the masses wouldn't get this type of information. They just wouldn't. They would have to go into the night being blithely ignorant of the world around them, and that's not what I'm about. Okay. I know um, it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just I'm trying to put the facts out there because this is not what you get on WHIO, and that's that's by design. Okay, there's there's clearly an avenue for what we do here on talking out loud. But no, I'm glad you said that because it's it's like the most obvious thing. Um, and, and there's like other like little obvious things that I think happen from time to time. 
um, Rhode Island game. There was a really good example. Malachi, or was it was it Rhode Island game, or was it the game before? I think it might have been the game before um, when Dayton um, that game on uh, Tuesday against Fordham. Uh, Malachi went off for like eight points in a row, and then him and Duran like immediately came off the court. And I was like, Ugh. you know, it's just no, one of those things. I like, I know he's got, yeah. I know he's got a plan. I know that he's doing something, but as a face value fan, that shit is incredibly frustrating because you're like, that's the most obvious thing I can think of. And like you said, that's just you. You're watching the game. You don't know what goes on in the locker room. And I will tell you this, man. Like five years ago, I think I would have been like way more scathing about shit like that. But yeah. the, the longer I've done this show and the longer I've talked to guys like yourself and and honestly, the more that people have held me accountable for like the things that I'll say, like on the air and on Twitter, that's when you start to like put more perspective into it. Like, OK, I'm going to trust in certain situations that that Grant is doing what he thinks is best for the team. But other times there's shit that's just very obvious that I want to yell about. Absolutely. And by the way, let me be clear. I, listen, I'm a Grant supporter, but but there yeah. are things. I'm going to say this politically that I would do differently. Right. Like, for example, that game, I know exactly what you're talking about. I do think um, I do think Deuce and and Malachi set too long. I know exactly the stretch you're talking about. I mean, and I don't know if it was by design. I don't know if I mean, he's human. Did did he forget about him on the bench? Is it is it Grant's call to do the subbing? You got a lot of people don't realize, hey, the the assistants do the subbing. Yeah. So because Grant, you know, but again, Grant's the face of the team. He is going to get drilled for everything that goes wrong. But I don't even know that it's Grant doing the subs. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I, there's just a lot more that goes into it. But I will say, though, no, I agree with you. That stretch, they sat too long. And and listen, players don't play perfect games. Coaches don't coach perfect games. It just is what it, what it is. I mean, that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, it sure is, man. Um, before I let you go, give me a, give me a prediction. Or, or unless you're calling the game on Wednesday and you can't make a prediction. What is it? I can man, never remember. Good, I don't even know if I'm calling. I think I'm calling it, man. Who do, I guess it doesn't matter. No, I'm, next week. I'm next week. They're on the road this okay. week. I'm not going. No, I'm good. Um, okay, good. Yeah, give me a prediction. I mean, I'm going to say it's under 60. Uh, I think the for some reason, I got a good feeling about this. I think the Flyers are going to pull this game out for some reason. I'll go 58-54 Flyers. 58-54. I'm going to go, and I do think they're, they're going to win both. Um, but I'm going to go. Better. I'm going on Saturday, so they better win on Saturday. Okay. I'm actually going, and they and they play better on the road. If you haven't noticed, um, yeah, they kind of do. They do well. I mean, aside from me, a couple flops, but I'm saying they t- and they shoot better on the road. Typically, they I'm definitely go shot s- better on the road. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go 60, 67, 61. Flyers win. All right, there you have it. In a high scoring game. Yeah, yeah, for us, it's a high-scoring <laughs> <Right>. game. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, that'll do it for another week. Well, like I said, we'll be back at you uh, Wednesday night rapid reaction against VCU. And then I'm hitting the road with the gang uh, to go from Chicago down to St. Louis on Friday night for the game on Saturday. So I'll probably try to do something. Um, you know, I'm historically online guy. I'll try to keep being online for this coming weekend. But really looking forward to this week. Uh, avenge the VCU win in Richmond or VCU loss rather in Richmond and then they get to go back for Arch Baron Cup number two uh, down in St. Louis on Saturday afternoon so that'll do it for the show for Brooks Hall I'm Sully two rules wear red be loud and we'll catch you late Wednesday night later
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.